strawberry am. Welcome, welcome to Shroom for Two, the Plants vs. Zombies Heroes podcast coming out of a two-week holiday food coma. I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. How was your food coma, Mike? Mine was pretty good. Went really well. I made some dope turkey chili and brought it to a potluck full of uh, middle-aged lesbians and had a fun time. Sounds really good. Uh, My brother and I fried some turkey legs and uh, made a bunch of other varyingly Thanksgiving-y stuff, and it tasted pretty good. But maybe the best thing to happen during the Thanksgiving weekend was a little bit of data mining that came out thanks to the super sleuths on the PBC Heroes Reddit community. And thank you to uh, whichever hardworking data miner found that sweet, sweet vein of card changes coming out. I think it was P-Lover. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about here. So I think we should dive right in. The first big batch of changes being... The berries, pretty much all of the pieces of the big berry deck got changed. That would be Sergeant Strongberry is going from a 4-4 to a 4-3. Strawberryan is going from a 3-3 to a 3-2. And Shelf Mushroom is going from a 2-3 to a 2-2. What do you think about these, Mike? Well, I think it is interesting that both of the big berry cards from set 4 got targeted by this because... I remember back in the set three days after High Voltage Current came out when berry decks were just starting to take off where you could do like Imitator, Sergeant Strongberry shenanigans and it was still a very uh, threatening deck. So I don't think that like, you know, yeah, Shelf Mushroom is awesome, but you'll be able to find another two drop to put in there and... Uh, you probably even still just play this one. Yeah, maybe. And I, like I have found myself trimming out Strawberryan in some of my decks because... I'm too afraid of Garg throwing Garg and mm. having that blow up in my face horribly. And often when I'm building a berry deck and I'm over and I'm at like 42 cards, the first thing I'll look to take out is any three drop that I'm running four of. So like Strawberry and it's not something that I put a lot of stock in when I construct a deck. But uh, Sergeant Strongberry going back to a 4-3, I think that'll be big. I think it's interesting to hear your your thoughts on Strawberryan. I, in my personal opinion, Strawberryan is one of the most important pieces of that deck. You know, like the fact that it deals one to its opponent and its neighbors uh, whenever you play Barry is like a big part of how the Barry deck is able to get so much board control. Um, and, you know, getting the Barry Blast off of um, evolving over top of a Barry is like, you know, one of the main ways that you try to close the game. I think that this is going to be probably the most substantial of the three big berry nerfs the fact that this is no longer a three mana three three means that it's going to trade with just about everything this is actually a pretty common theme through a lot of this Uh, a lot of these nerfs is that something going to two health uh, means that it's a lot more vulnerable and a lot harder to play proactively and that uh, a proactive strawberryan is one of the ways that the the berry deck really tries to dominate the board in the mid game here's why i'm not going to miss strawberryan sour grapes Sour Grapes already gives you one of the best field clear setups in the game if, if you have a Sergeant Strongberry out, and being able to just hit everything for three or infinite if you have two of them out, like, I think having that tool still available to me makes it easier to live life without a Strawberryan or, you know, depend on high voltage current to conjure one. I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I think that um, Strawberryan getting the Berry Blast is a very essential part of the equation. Um, you know, like we've been saying for the entire lifetime of the show, the way 
that aggro decks close out the game is with burn spells that go to the dome. And 4x Berry Blast is a big difference compared to 8x Berry Blast. And you're a lot closer to 8x Berry Blast if you're playing four Strawberrians. And the fact that um, that part of Strawberrian is not what got nerfed by this, the Strawberrian is just going to stick around less to keep you alive longer or to like you know clear the board longer which is going to put a lot more pressure on your burn spells to go at creatures rather than to the face um and so i think that this is a big deal yeah i guess we'll have to wait and find out and also i'm sure we'll see fewer berry decks on the ladder because once all of these cards get refunded to full disenchant value then I'm sure a lot of people will be like, oh man, I'm so glad I don't have to play these cancer decks anymore and just bust up all their strong berries and strawberries and go and play something else for a while. That's certainly possible. Uh, on the heels of that, let's go into the next big set of changes. Those are targeted at everybody's favorite Briar Rose. Uh, so Briar Rose, of course, the four cost three four that says whenever a flower gets hurt, destroy the zombie that hurt it. That is going from a four cost to a five cost and clearly hitting the same deck. Solar Winds, the environment that says if there's no zombies here, make a sunflower at the end of the turn. Uh, it's going from a two cost environment to a three cost environment. I definitely believed that Briar Rose needed a nerf. And I thought that raising its cost to five alone wouldn't be enough. But I think mm. combined with Solar Winds going up to three... I think that throws enough of a disruption into what solar heroes have been trying to do and doing so well that it definitely uh, opens up the early game a lot for what solar heroes are going to start trying to do differently. Like, I don't know if Solar Winds is playable at a three-cost card. Maybe if you have some turn one ramp from, like, Primal Sunflower or from being Solar mm. Flare. It's possible. I think it's probably still playable. It's definitely way less good. I think that that's honestly probably much more severe of a nerf than than briar rose getting plus one cost you know the idea of going turn two solar winds turn three you've got four mana play a briar rose behind the sunflower that the solar winds made you know and then when if you try to put something in front of that then the sunflower is going to explode and kill the thing that you played in front of it i think that that is a pretty brutal opening and um both pieces of that are out of the picture now and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that this is going to be a pretty big hit to to late game control solar decks. You know what else is brutal? Turn three solar winds, turn three medulla nebula. Hello, goodbye, yes. gone. Nice card, nerd. Yeah, that's correct. Increasing the cost on an environment is much more of a nerf than increasing the cost on a creature because environments are substantially more fragile than creatures, especially, especially plant plant environments levels. because they get the chance to overwrite your environment on the exact same turn. So like playing a solar winds into a zombie hero that still has mana up. And if you're a good player, you should pretty much always have mana up for the tricks phase is like a lot riskier. Now that's going to put a pretty big hurting on those decks. Yeah, not to mention it ruins the tempo of turn one Cosmos, turn two Solar Wind. Also very true. Uh, so speaking of two-cost environments, the other big thing that landed in this balance patch, allegedly these changes aren't out yet, we should say that this is all still speculative, but uh, these things have usually come to pass when they've been reported, uh, is that Planet of the Grapes uh, is moving from a two-cost to a three-cost. This is the beating heart of the cycle cap deck, value machine with Admiral Navy Bean and all that smarty ping stuff. It's a really good environment to put in pretty much any smarty deck you're making. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you can put Galactic Cactus on it, you draw a card when it explodes, that kind of thing. It's just kind of been like a staple of everything smarty decks want to do ever since set two came out. And we've even said in the past on the show that we're surprised that it has danced its way through all the bullets. 
of, you know, a bunch of stuff getting nerfed around it and it never getting nerfed. Well, it seems like its luck finally ran out and it took one on the chin this time. Yep. And conversely, all of that, uh, that extra power taken away from Planet of the Graves has gone instead to Bog of Enlightenment, which has gone from a three-cost card to a two-cost environment. And that is going to be real exciting, I hope. That is a very interesting one. Um, you know, it's kind of like... It's a little bit harder to predict the outcome of that, I think. I mean, because like when Marine Bean got buffed in the last balance patch, like it was like a really big deal in terms of the amount of power points that got put in it. Ditto Savage Spinach. And neither one of those really ended up making too big of a splash. Like, you know, it kind of my eyes bugged out of my head when I originally saw those, but nothing really happened. Whereas this is like basically pretty close to as good as Sappy Place. Sappy Place costs four and gives any creature minus three, any zombie minus three attack. This says non-amphibious zombies get minus two attack and amphibious plants get plus two attack. And so like in the right deck, it is an even bigger stat change than Sappy Place. And it's at half the cost. Sappy Place costs four. I certainly expect to see people playing with this, like trying to find some way to break it. The right deck for the record runs Rotobega. I'm just telling yes, you that 100%. right now. Yeah, like 100%. put Rotobega, four of them in all of your bog decks, and thank me later. Yeah, I would say, I would add um, Leaf Blower to that list. Mm, yeah, they're just really trying to steer the direction of Smarty Identity a lot hor- harder towards amphibious cards. Like we've towards seen playing to the board. We've seen things that tried to push the idea of oh yeah, do an amphibious deck with Bog and regular Navy Bean and all the amphibious creatures, and it's really been more of a gimmick. But now that Bog of Enlightenment is only a two-cost environment, which is so much more reasonable than three, because the difference between a two- and a three-cost environment is huge, as we just talked about huge. with Planet of the Grapes. And now, like, like two-cost environments are so much more viable as a thing. It's like, oh yeah, I should just run this to disrupt whatever my opponent's trying to do. And, like, the fact that there's so many good amphibious cards, all the beans, Lima Pluridon, uh... You can do lily pad shenanigans and give whatever the plus two attack bonus on that. Yeah, this might this might be what puts um, lily pad over the top. Lily pad itself becomes a two one. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to frame it. That like make a bunch of tokens, do something powerful with that. Um, is kind of more of a kabloom thing than a smarty thing. And like the fact that this tied so well into the things that pay you off for making tokens, like Astro Shroom and um, Admiral Navy Bean, that kind of bled that into the smarty class as a whole whereas i think that that was maybe intended to be more of a nightcap thing specifically uh so we'll see what this does i mean like you know the nerfs that tried to take a big chunk out of the valkyrie deck last time around ultimately didn't put too much of a dent in it i mean like regifting zombie going from a two cost to a three cost was a big deal to be sure but the valkyrie deck was still super good and you know i wonder if this doesn't end up being you know a speed bump for the cycle cap deck rather than a big deal i think what will happen is cycle cap will get a little less reliant on trying to draw infinite cards and invest more in trying to build up a big field fast with things like Chromagnolia. very possible like, sometimes when I play Cycle Cap, I get too impatient to wait for the Planet of the Grapes and just start filling my field right away. It's like, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to get this damage right now and, and get these Pine Clones going. And I think that, like, yeah, sure, it's like that was a really cool trick that Nightcap could do for a while. And, you know, maybe even, I don't know, maybe we stop seeing Astro Shrooms so much. Or maybe mm. we see, like, a Mushroom Grotto version that really goes full token. 
it does take a pretty substantial bite out of Astro Shroom. Astro Shroom was certainly the other card in that deck that seemed most likely to be nerfed. I don't know. Astro Shroom being, you know, relatively uninteractive is still pretty powerful. Yeah, I'm going to walk um, that back. Astro Shroom's not going anywhere. I was wrong. Yeah. Making tokens that your opponent can just block is a lot more fair than making tokens that just go straight to the dome. And so if it does move in that direction, I think it will be a, um, a pretty substantial downshift in the amount of cycle cap that we see, because I think the deck will be much more hateable. Yeah, I mean, Nightcap still has some good tricks to its name, like the Bean Package, mostly unharmed. Like, you know, that itself is a large portion of cycle cap. All the bounce stuff is still there. I think Nightcap will evolve some. And I'm looking forward to seeing a little more deck diversity when Nightcap comes out, because... Nowadays, when you run into Nightcap on Ladder, it is just that one cycle cap deck. I think I would agree with that. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, we're um, we're going to see what we see there. Uh, all right, next, going to the zombie side. Got some pretty big nerfs there, too. I think the one that everybody uh, was waiting for, certainly you with your many copies of them, is Valkyrie going from a three cost to a four cost. How many Valkyries do you own, Mike? I own six of them. So you're getting a cool 12,000 sparks when this patch drops, huh? Uh. What no eight thousand? Oh right, you sure? Right, right, right. I yeah, mean, maybe 8, twelve. I might, I might go down to three. Like, I'm at the point where I don't really try to get premium packs anymore because if I open a legend, it might just be another duplicate one. So, like, if I have another legend that I go from four copies of to three copies of, I, I might just do that and fully refund it later if I want to build a deck with four Valkyries. Like, a deck with three Valkyries is still pretty good, and I think a Valkyrie that costs four is still a reasonable finisher to throw into uh, all kinds of crazy decks, but. It won't kill you as fast anymore, which is good news. Yeah, it's very true. All the things that the Valkyrie deck does that were unfair are still going to be just as unfair. You know, trying to abuse token making, trying to abuse Medulla Nebula, different things like that. I think that this uh, probably will put a hit on it, though. Like I said in the previous thing, you know, they really kind of hit every piece of the Valkyrie deck without hitting the Valkyrie itself, presumably because it was one of the chase legendaries from the set. But nope, they decided that it needed to take one this time, too. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, um, contrary to the last balance change, this one was definitely focused around taking down big-time plant archetypes, but the small handful of uh, zombie nerfs they put in here are big ones because the other card that is notoriously getting a power hit is Barrel of Barrels, which we have oh, yeah. decried on the show many times, but it's going from a one-cost card to a two-cost. It is the zombie barrel trick that will give a zombie deadly and then conjure you a barrel card and that of course is huge value for one cost and the fact that it also conjures is great for dr space time and conjure decks and all of that like barrel of barrels was in my magic playing eyes um as mind-boggling of a place to put powerpoints as teleport is you know the one cost card that draws a card that does something crazy in addition to you know, the fact that it's a one-cost thing that draws you a card means that the barrier to playing it was just so unbelievably low. You know, there is a lot more of an opportunity cost now putting Barrel of Barrels in your deck. You know, I think it's going to end up being something like Escape Through Time. Used to cost one, said your creature doesn't die this turn, now it costs two. It is a much more, like, assertive thing to say, like, yes, I absolutely want this effect, and I'm willing to pay a lot for it, is kind of what Escape Through Time turned out to be. I think that... um we'll see a lot fewer people running 4x barrel barrels just like because. Be on the lookout for other sources of deadly to get a, an uptick in usage. So maybe we'll see more imp decks with Toxic Waste Stamp, or we'll see more people 
try and laser base alpha. But um, I mean, hey, if the effects that cost that give you deadly um, cost, are cost going, maybe. Well, sure, but I mean, you know, like all those things cost two or three. You know, like I am perfectly cool with there being no one cost way to get deadly. Well, um, there's that superpower. I mean, sure, but that's a different that's a different kind of thing. Okay. You know, like you're only able to have one of those. Only certain decks are allowed to play it. Having no regular cards, certainly not a common um, as a way to get a one cost deadly thing, is going to be a big deal. As a side note, one of the things that took a big power chunk out of Captain Cucumber was Barrel of Barrels. Um, and I think Barrel of Barrels costing two um, is going to give Captain Cucumber a little bit more room to breathe. So I wonder if we're going to start seeing more of that again. It could also be that the way that deadly players adjust is just by taking slower turns and always leaving themselves a little more brains to still make sure they can play their Barrel of Barrels. So, you know, invest in those forget-me-nuts, I guess. I guess that's a little uh, open a window after the aforementioned closed door. The pool of Barrel cards that can get conjured from Barrel of Barrels got a little bit bigger. Now you can also pull a Rocket Science, the killer thing with uh, four attacker Mortric, and the Final Mission, the destroy a thing and do four damage trick, and both of those are really good cards. So, you know, just, oh yeah, it's still you're still gonna get pissed off by your opponent's barrel of barrels sometimes, but hopefully it'll happen a lot less often. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, adding those two cards, like those two cards, might not be the absolute best things in the mix to get off of a barrel of barrels, but they're definitely close to the top. I think um, conjuring are... rocket science is always great. Any, anything that'll conjure your rocket science, I'm just like, whoa, yeah! Yeah, no kidding. Um, all right, and staying with the zombies, uh, we've got some buffs here. There are a few more zombie nerfs as well, but um, the, I think these buffs are probably the biggest deals left on the list. we got three zombie cards that are getting gravestone after having not had them before. Captain Flameface, the three cost two four that gives all your pirates strike through, including itself, on Trigger Treater. Uh, my favorite brainy build around me, the three cost two three that when you play a trick conjures a treat. And Cryo Yeti, nobody's favorite big clunky five drop that freezes a plant. Sometimes seen off Haunted Pumpkin. I think that these are, in all three cases, pretty big deals. All of these cards get so much better now that they have Gravestone. Like, Trick or Treater, we've talked about on the show a lot about Trick or Treater versus Mad Chemist, which also got a minor health buff, and which one was better, and one of the big arguments was... Mad Chemist has Gravestone. Trick or Treater dies to Berry Blast. And now Trick or Treater is immune to Berry Blast and has Gravestone. So I think that card is super incredible now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the big thing with Trick or Treater was that you had to kind of proactively play it and give your opponent an entire turn's worth of mana to deal with it before you were able to get any value from it. Now it pops out of the Gravestone and the plant player's turn has already ended. Uh, so I think that um, certainly a welcome change for me. I mean, it was already pretty good before, in my opinion. Certainly going to be getting better now. Yeah, you, congratulations uh, getting in early on that one. I think the Cryo Yeti one especially is huge because how late in a turn the freeze effect happens is so huge. Because like mm. the, the fact that this happens after they can play whatever new thing goes on, like after they've spent all of their resources, then you have a chance to answer it. The fact that it also will blend in with all of the other gravestones that are already available to Sneaky to just further obfuscate what could be hiding in a given gravestone. It used to be like if I saw it, if I was playing some kind of aggro solar deck and they played a cryo yeti because I played pumpkin, what I would do was, okay, frozen thing, you are now an elderberry. And that is not mm. a way around it anymore. Yeah, I think you're right to point out that uh, freeze is better the later in the turn it happens. Like having it be on a creature's end of the battlefield 
is a lot worse than, say, a frozen mustache. And now this happens at the same time as frozen mustache. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see if, if everybody hasn't already disenchanted their cryo yetis. Uh, we'll figure out what goes on. Yeah, this sounds like a great addition to any kind of tempo gravestone deck running like mixed up gravedigger and that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, throw two of these in there with that and yeah, have a nice day. Um, okay, so next uh, big zo- big deal zombie buff, I think, is uh, Neutron Imp, which had already gotten a pretty big buff before. It used to be a four cost four four that said whenever an environment enters the battlefield, do a bonus attack. It got turned into a two cost two three, and now it's getting buffed again to a one cost two two. We might finally see it now, other than coming off of an imp-throwing imp, because now it'll come off imposter? That's true, and decks that run imposter are also likely to run uh, graveyard, so the deck will have uh, some ammunition for it as well. Yeah, okay, so Neutron Imp is a very cool card. It is an interesting, unique card. It is not a meta powerhouse. Like, we have not seen this thing completely take over, although it feels like a very unique, valuable piece, especially now only costing one to any sort of bonus attack engine if you're running something like a Mime Gargantuar. Or, like, it seems like That's a valuable legit. piece in that kind of a combo deck, but that deck isn't real yet. That deck might be real now. That deck might be real now. There's just kind of a lot better things to do with the built-in environments of HG. There's also kind of like, you know, Graveyard is a card that you want to play before you do your big thing with creatures or as neutron amp kind of wants you to play graveyard afterwards um and that you know like when you see a graveyard you kind of want to deploy it rather than saving it for later i don't know i mean i think that this is kind of in the category of that might be a big deal or not um but certainly something becoming one cost one cost is kind of a magical number that makes it way better than it used to be and uh i'm certainly going to try it out I think the biggest thing getting in this card's way is the fact that it is a brainy card because most of the imp stuff is sneaky and Mm. the environments that brainy get aren't really that good for having a a bonus attack for two. Like, the ideal environment you want to play with this card is uh, Area 22 to turn it into a 4-4 frenzy bonus attack. And only Immortitia can do that because, you know... Like, the best cards that support Neutron Imp are from non-brainy classes, and that'll always make it trickier to build a synergy around it. Non-brainy, non-sneaky classes, too. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think about all that's correct. We'll have to find out. All right, and then uh, last on the list of uh, the really big changes, I think, is Disco Knot, thing that got nerfed last time from a 1-cost 2-2 to a 1-cost 2-1, has had its ability changed as well used to say zombies with three or less attack get bullseye, and now it says zombies with two or less attack get bullseye. And there is a big, big change based on that. That is the fact that it no longer gives flamenco zombie and binary stars bullseye. Now you can no longer go disco knot into flamenco zombie and deal them bullseye damage. I think this was a very good call by the balancing team because... Dance decks have kind of gone under the radar of being sneaky, super aggressive, good, and a lot in part because of Disco Knot allowing you to cheese out a lethal with seven block meter slivers with your Flamenco Zombie. Disco Knot is once again a very unique card and a huge power point, and nothing's like it. And there's all kinds of, you know, not not even just those two three cost cards, even things like 
Line Dancing Zombie or Space Cowboy or all kinds of really good three attack cards that we see in in decks running Disco Knot, and this will drastically shape up what dance decks look like, I think. 100% agreed. And I mean, really, that was one of the most unfair things to do in the game. I mean, like, it was fun because I like to do it a lot, and so I got to win a bunch of games by dealing the mate balls I damaged to the face in a pretty uninteractive way. But, like, that is not fun to have done to you. That is just, like, Mondo feel-bads. One of the things that makes people say that card games are bad is when, like, something that you had basically no way to stop happens and it causes you to immediately die. This more or less fit that bill. Of course, you could kill their creatures, but dancers were also really cheap. And so you could sandbag some. You could sandbag that superpower that makes two one ones, and then go that thing, Disco Knot, Flamenco Zombie, you're dead. You know, that wasn't that hard to do. And so um, I think that uh, this is a welcome change. Yeah, and if you do want to still bullseye a machine gun down somebody with a dancer deck, you can still play Headhunter, which is still great. Very true. And the fact that that enabler, uh, the enabler costs five rather than the enabler costing one, I think is a uh, is a big game. And rounding out the cards that we see a lot of on ladder, Fireweed got reeled in from being a two cost three three to a two cost three two that will spawn you the hot lava environment. So that became a lot more fragile. And uh, Interdimensional Zombie, which went from being a 1-cost one 1-3 one to a 2-2, two two, which will make it a lot harder for it to survive on turn 1. So a bit of a tempo hit there. Yeah, I think these are both reasonable changes. I mean, I think that Fireweed was kind of already a 3-2 in most cases, because unless you played on the heights, it was going to take one damage from the hot lava that it made. And so this was really just saying... We don't want there to be an alternate mode of fireweed of making it a two cost three three, you know, which is fair. Um, not a very big deal, but I think it's fair. Yeah, that is definitely one of the cards that is stuck out as like a very obvious early game PowerPoint. Like it's the kind of thing fry him up, will evangelize and run in every Kabloom deck. And uh, a small tweaking of that is still good. And like this card still does a lot of valuable things for a deck. Like if you don't want to actually run environments, but want to have a way to deal with your opponent's environments, this card is still really good for that. It will still kill a drone bot engineer on turn two. If you're trying to do like a Spadao thing where you're trying to do fireweed and then follow that up with a hibernating berry, sometimes you'll run into the irritating thing of uh, your fireweed being a 3-1 and not being able to play the berry on turn three. And now that won't happen uh, anymore. Yes. But that's kind of edge casey. But that is the kind of deck you still want to run fireweed in. Yeah, legit. Interdimensional Zombie, I think, is uh, also a good idea. The fact that uh, it was a three... Uh, health thing uh, meant that it survived most turn one plays like so this thing says whenever you play a science card turn me into a random three drop um, and so like if you go turn one this thing turn two science card you get a three drop on turn two in addition to whatever thing you played that was a cool way to kind of get out ahead the fact that the plant player didn't really have tons of ways to deal with it like it wasn't quite quick draw con man level bad because uh if you didn't deal with it, it wasn't as big of a problem. And B, you did have a few more options in that case. You pretty much had Bonk Choi, a three damage superpower, Primal Potato Mine, and uh, Pumpkin Boy. Now you've got basically everything. Um, this is kind of akin to playing a Zombology teacher on turn one, which is to say you probably shouldn't do it. Right, yeah, definitely. This will become a lot more of a hold in your hand and then play it together with some other cheap science card thing instead of a turn one this, turn two, that. 
The last one we're going to spotlight here is Frankentar, the 5-5 Garg event card that'll gain one attack and one health every time one of your other zombies dies. And it will now be a 5 attack, 7 health Garg to put it in line with Mime Garg and Supernova. Yeah, I think that this is totally reasonable. 5-7 is kind of coalesced as the stat line for fancy gargantuars that like you know have a build around me power um because you know the thing needs to survive in order for you to take advantage of it uh and i think that this is a very welcome change one of the difficult things about frankentar was that you needed to basically have all the weenies in play already and then play the garg because the garg was fragile enough that it might die if you tried to set it up beforehand now you can set it up beforehand you know play it in lane four it doesn't die and then the next turn the stuff in lanes one through three attack and get killed and so on that i think will make this a lot more reliable probably won't like set anybody's hair on fire um i think it's going to still be kind of an okay card um but that i think is going to be a fun new change yeah and this is definitely the kind of effect you want on a monster that has seven health now instead of five because playing this card will often mean that it'll end up being like a 7-2 at some point later on. So being able to just start out of the gate with a little bit of extra health can only do good things for its playability. Okay, and for our next segment, uh, we're going to not do card of the week because this card of the week is not very good. And it's getting changed. And it's getting changed. Oh, we didn't mention that in the previous segment, but um, Overstuffed Zombie is getting a stat change um, that'll maybe make it a little bit better. We'll We'll see. see. But uh, it is time to do tournament talk. And um, I have reverted to the mean. And in true Shroom for Two fashion, uh, I have lost out of the tournament. Interestingly enough, to the guy that beat Mike in the first round, our friend Extra. Yeah, congratulations to Extra for being able to pull off the rare Shroom for Two sweep in a single tournament using the same exact decks that he used to beat me. Yeah, and it was uh, kind of giving me a taste of my own medicine, too, because the Immortitia deck that I got beat with uh, was a Mime Garg bonus attack deck. Yep. Um, and uh, we didn't really see that part of it when uh, you played against it. You just kind of got, like, vampired and stuff. Uh, there um, were Gargs, but they happened early on, and I don't think I saw the Mime. I saw, like, the Nurse Garg and the Supernova. Yeah, I mean, and those are just good enough to just play without trying to do anything fancy but uh the way i died was definitely pretty damn fancy i was um playing my captain combustible pod fighter deck which is just like absolutely the softest deck in the world to mime garg like you know it's based around doing a bunch of bonus attacks um and then whenever you do a bonus attack with your thing mime garg does one back and so you just kind of get like completely screwed by it and so uh, once it came down i kind of had nothing to do i um was able to play a pod fighter and like take some chips away at it but um Ultimately, I just kind of got machine gunned to death by the Mimegarg and uh, him giving frenzy to an electrician. Made Mimegarg do a bunch of extra damage and uh, just kind of beat me to the ground. Oh, yeah, so, that sounds like GG. a way to lose a lot of damage in one turn. Yeah, and I mean, I've been on the giving end of that, you know, like bumping into the rare pod fighter player when I was playing my Immortition deck. And I was just like, oh, man, this is like totally, completely screwing this player over. The entire game plan of their deck like doesn't really work anymore. Um, and now I've been on the receiving end of that. So... Good beats, I guess. Yeah, and yeah, you lost to a berry combustible too, right? Berry combustible, yeah. I mean, I just kind of got buried in that way. The uh, final turn, I made a play that kind of left me open to something bad happening. But uh, in terms of playing the creatures that I played, there was no way to play around this particular thing. So the scenario was I was playing uh, Neptuna with the gravestones, and I was at eight and had, you know, like most of my block meter 
for that level remaining. Like I knew I was going to be able to take a bunch of hits and not block. And so what I did was I had a uh, headstone carver in one lane. I had a uh, mascot imp in another lane and I needed to decide where to play a, a zombie coach. And I could have played the zombie coach in an open lane, or I could have played it in front of the strawberryian that was on the field. Uh, and I chose to block the strawberryian because if I survived the turn, I was going to be in that much better shape because they wouldn't have a strawberryian. But unfortunately, they played a thing into the open lane, had the plus four attack superpower, and had the bonus attack superpower. Oh no! So I was so I was hosed. Had I played the coach in the other lane. Um, like in the empty lane, um, they would have just done that to the strawberryian, and so then I would have died anyway. And so that was a bit of a bummer. And like you know, my only chance was rolling three on the first block meter hit, and then two or three on the second one, or you know, reverse that I guess. Uh, but that did not happen, uh, and I was toast. So, GG extra. Yeah, uh, I wish I would have known that you were facing him. I would have warned you not to ban Rose, but to ban Combustible instead, because this Rose deck is a bluff. Oh, that's legit. I forgot about that. Well, on my end of the tournament, I am still alive, and I'm getting near the, the top ranks of the continue bracket. I just beat a Blues Man earlier today. I swept him 2-0. I got to beat up on his Gravestone Neptuna deck, and I did a really weird thing, which kind of led to me winning, and that is keeping two Grave Mistakes in my opening hand. Mm. And my logic for this is... Okay, so there's only a couple of different Neptuna decks out there. You know, there's Gravestone Neptuna, Sports Neptuna, Conjure Neptuna, and, like, Professional Zoo Neptuna. And I figure Blues Man's going to bring out a Gravestone Neptuna because the two heroes I have to play are Beta Caratina and Captain Combustible. And he's probably expecting me to run out Combustible because everyone's playing Combustible in this tournament because he's really good and he's a Mega Grow hero. <laughs> so what I did was I opened with Beta Caratina, uh, running some variants of Fight Club deck with strong anti-meta things with a little bit of extra Gravestone hate in there. And I kept both my grave mistakes, and that was absolutely the right move to make. And I just wore him down with Lima Pluridon and uh, stacking Forget Me Nuts, and then played a uh, Pop and Poppies to survive longer than he did. Uh, do you know what you bounced with the grave mistakes? Um, I'm pretty sure the first one was a line dancing zombie, and I'm pretty sure the second one was. Uh, I forget. It was either a pogo bouncer or it was that same line dancing zombie. Well, still three and at least three in terms of cost is like a giant deal, you know, because like when you bounce the gravestone, they still have to pay for it. You know, like the, the mana is drained from their pool on their end, but the plant player doesn't see it until the gravestone is revealed. Um, and like the cost still gets deducted, even if the gravestone isn't actually out to flip. Grave mistaking something big is like absolutely brutal. Yeah. And then if they want to get any kind of value out of that card, they have to devote another full turn to playing it while I just continue to fill my board up with stuff. And then uh, I managed to stave off a, f a weed spray by playing a second Forget-Me-Nut. That that made me feel real cool. And then later I made him spend five mana on a weed spray, and I still had stuff on the field. Nice. And the other game was uh, I was playing Trickster Valkyrie Brainstorm, and I did horrible Trickster Valkyrie Brainstorms to that poor Rose. I felt really smart for banning uh, Spadow instead of banning Rose because... Just I was buried, really afraid of getting strong buried. Yep. Yeah, that's legit. <laughs> I figured um, it was easier to construct a deck that could counter the kind of Healy control Rose deck than it was to try and deal with Barry Spadow. And I was right. Yay, Trickster. Yeah, that's very legit. Um, I think in the aftermath of getting swept by Extra, it made me wonder if my bands should have been more Barry-focused like throughout the whole thing. My first round opponent had both 
Spadow and Solar Flare, and they were playing berries in their Solar Flare deck as well. But um, I believe Extra's decks were Rose, Combustible, and Grass Knuckles, right? Um, and I think I probably would have had fared better against the Green Shadow, I mean, or against the Grass Knuckles. I mean, Grave Buster definitely would have been a problem. You mean, you know, I was playing Sumo Zombie and Pogo Bouncer and mixed up Grave Digger and all that same business, avoiding a single hate card versus avoiding an entire package full of very good cards probably would have been um, an uh, easier time for me. I feel pretty good about my zombie hero stuff so far because if you're running Professor Brainstorm and Infinity, the good thing about that is they can only ban either Professor Brainstorm or Infinity. Yeah, so you get to Valkyrie them no matter what you pick. Yeah, although um, the Valkyrie Infinity has not had a lot of success for me in the tournament yet so far, but Valk Brainstorm did the job. And uh, on the plant side, I just realized that on the uh, the hero list spreadsheet, there's also a pie chart showing breaking down the different hero selections, and I am the only person running Beta Caratina. Ah, uh, that's funny. And I feel like every time I win Beta Caratina, I feel like a big brain genius. Uh, have neither of us gotten to play the fancy Rose deck that we picked? No, I have not. I've had Rose banned literally every round. And yeah, so I'm, I'm worried that the changes will happen before we can talk about the Rose deck. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess uh, maybe that's... We've, we've bumped Barry Spadow another time, given that we haven't talked about it this time. Yeah, if Barry Spadow doesn't come out next week, it is officially Vaporware and Vaporwave. I think we'll get to it. Like, people send us decks, and the decks are good, and I want to talk about them. Yeah, like, the data's ready to go. We haven't had the time yet. Yeah, so, you know, hopefully uh, sometime soon you guys will be hearing about that. Yeah, and uh, hopefully sometime soon we'll be hearing from you by writing in to us at shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com. For sure, and uh, you can check out Mike's tournament highlights uh, on the Shroom for 2 YouTube channel, which is also Shroom for Two Podcast. Yep, go and check those out, and you can come and hang out with us in the Shroom for Two Discord chat channel on the PBZ Heroes Discord server. Uh, that's true, and uh, if you feel like giving us money, you can also give us money at the Shroom for Two Cash app, which is in the show notes. Um, we're dollar sign Shroom for Two, and uh, if you want to put some money in the tip jar, that would be greatly appreciated. Indeed. Uh, all that and more next time on Shroom for Two, and until then, I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. Have a great week, everybody. Are we going to mention the um, that guy's like sleuth work? Oh, the about the layoffs and stuff. I was thinking about like alluding to it in a very kind of joking manner about like, oh, no art department, no problem. Um, I actually would kind of prefer we not do that because um, you know, to whatever extent we still have listeners at PopCap, I would. We don't want to stab them. I I wouldn't want to trash talk that, or at least like you know. I'm sure those layoffs are something that people felt really shitty about. Mm. Um, but like in terms of like, I think that that subject is like a big enough deal that I would want to devote an entire segment to it. And all these changes would really kind of suck the oxygen out of it. And so I think, um, we should just table that, you know, like maybe make a brief reference to it about like, you know, people were wondering what the, future of the game was going to be if we were going to see any more balance patches or content patches because of that post yeah Um, there's a part of me that thinks that this was pushed out in response to that garnering a lot of talk in the community and like 
you know, whoever is still getting a paycheck from EA to keep an eye on the Reddit realized the winds were blowing this way. It's like, hey, we really ought to placate these guys with something. That's plausible, certainly. This was the biggest thing like that that we've ever seen. But, I mean, people have been bitching about this game being dead for, like, fucking ever. You know what I mean? Basically for as long as the lifetime of the show. That's a level of speculation that I don't think I'm comfortable making, you know? just because it kind of imputes some motivation onto people that we can't really read the minds of. It's certainly a plausible explanation though. Yeah. Uh, I guess this kind of in, encroaches a bit philosophically on like what is and isn't fair game for podcast discussion, because like this is a, a, a climate where things don't need to be true to be news. Yeah. And whether we want to accept that that is how the world is or continue to, you know, defend truth as a thing. But, like, gossip is also kind of fair ground for podcast discussion. Gossip is certainly fair ground for podcast discussion. But I um, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable reporting on gossip based on the people whose creative work we're critiquing. In a way, that seems kind of materially different from, like, tournament drums. That's all kind of entirely contained within stuff that we're able to see and participate in. Whereas stuff that's happening behind the scenes at EA, um, you know, we don't have enough visibility into that. We kind of have to read the tea leaves, and I'm really uncomfortable doing that. You know, like, I'm not particularly interested in gossip as news, as a concept. And, like, I don't know, I would just kind of rather not make a bunch of guesses. You know, like, I... This is a little yeah. devil's advocate but, like, there's there's gossip as news and gossip as content, which are not explicitly the same thing. And, like, podcasts definitely blur the line between that a whole bunch. I suppose, but I think that... um I'm not interested in that being the kind of content that we have. I mean, like, so I would be like, to whatever extent we do eventually do a big segment on that post, um, which I think is still a thing that is reasonable to do. I would want to be reporting on like, what did the guy say? What method did he use to try to find it out? He like looked at Glassdoor and stuff, saw that animators were like using portfolio assets from the game, like in their, public facing stuff implying that they were looking for work again, you know, and that like whether his explanation makes sense, like rather than trying to guess at what the story was, you know, I mean, like, do you understand the distinction I'm trying to make? Yeah. Yeah. I'm following you. Okay. Uh, what, um, what if we put this conversation about what to do as the stinger and use that as a swing in on it for now? Um, yeah, I guess so. Cause like, honestly, I don't want some of our listeners to think that we are tools somehow by completely ignoring it, which is a thing I feel like would happen. That's fair. Um, I mean, I think that people would probably would maybe give us a pass for the con the balance changes being like such a big deal. Um, but I mean, you're right that this was kind of like a really big deal two weeks ago, yeah, and we still haven't talked about it. Especially on the heels of us not doing a show last week for exactly. suspect reasons. <laughs> uh, sorry sorry uh, about that again, by the way. Yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, I was busy, and you fell asleep, and all that shit. 
yeah, it was Thanksgiving, thing, it was Thanksgiving week. That we, we should not have assumed we were going to be able to make it happen that week. Yeah, for sure. Thanksgiving was good though. Um, oh, good. The food was tasty. And uh, Baxter's good dog. Right. Yeah, you went to Haplos. No, uh, they or, came down here. Right. Hap, yeah. uh, Haplo and Dan. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, you're hosting. Yes, I can remember mm-hmm. things. Uh, I made turkey chili. Turned out really good. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, this is the. I had a chili recipe from when I was dating Elizabeth, but her mm-hmm. crockpot was bigger than the one I have now. So the last time I tried to make it, I scaled it down wrong and fucked it up. But this time it turned out good. Yeah, we um we didn't have a full turkey. We got a bunch of drumsticks and then fried them. Okay. Uh, they turned they turned out real good. I was surprised at how much like not meat is in a drumstick. There was like lots of tendons and other oh yeah stuff that you kind of had to eat around. Yeah, there's a lot of straps in there. Um, but, uh, it was fucking good. Um, and then, um, we had like Thanksgiving stuff we had, we had like mashed potatoes and mac and cheese and stuff. But then, um, I also made risotto, which I'm getting pretty good at and was a hit. And, um, I made this, uh, slow roasted pork mm. that was uh pretty fucking baller. If I do say so myself, oh, nice. it was like. Uh, a bunch of pork, and then for for a marinade, it was like a bunch of spices, um, including a natto seed, which I had never used before, but turned everything red. So now I have a bunch of red Tupperware and shit. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's like turmeric in that way. Yeah, just get some turmeric, um, and then you'll have orange shit everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, then like some tequila, some orange juice, some lemon juice, um, some habanero peppers, uh, um, which made it pretty spicy. Um, and then like some garlic and you know some other stuff, uh, and it was fucking banging. I'm gonna make a bunch more of it later. Yeah, that sounds really good. I've I have not uh, tried to do a pork roast of my own yet. I'm still uh, relying on my grandma to churn those out for me, but I'm gonna have to make one of my own one of these days. So, like, do you have like a oh, website sure. I, you're going I, off of or anything? Um, yes, I do. In fact, there's a guy with the YouTube called Binging with Babish, huh. um, who's like this super big food YouTuber. He's got like two and a half million subscribers. Um, and uh, he has a bunch of shows. Um, this one was called Puerco Pibil. Um His big thing is that he cooks food from movies and TV shows. Um, and so, you know, like there's one where he did Homer's Moon Waffle. Like sometimes he does fake food, huh. um, which was really funny. And then he does like all the food that was in Always Sunny in Philadelphia or all the food that was in Family Guy or whatever. Um, and so this one is from... Um, once upon a time in Mexico, which is a movie I'd never seen. Um, but, uh, it, it's like some pork that's so good that it makes Johnny Depp shoot some guy cause he cooked it too good. Um, and, uh, it's really good and nobody shot anybody. So I rated it a success. Wow. I'm going to have to check this guy's YouTube out so I can finally learn how to make milk stick and impress all those girls with the Tinder profiles. <laughs> he does indeed do that in one of them. God, I see that milk stick and magnets quote all the fucking time on Tinder profiles. It's like right up there with, <laughs> I'm like the office. I'm a Pam looking for my gym. I'm starting, starting to think they're all Russians. That's possible. <laughs> all right, let's do a show. Yeah. <laughs>